Welcome to an all-new Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Good morning, honey. Welcome back to Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. We're in the book of Philemon. Welcome back. Thank you. Good morning. We started last week by introducing this particular study to ask some important questions and then go seek through this entire scripture. It is an exercise in discovery, but it also starts with asking God first, what do you want us to know about your word? Right. A number of different areas of inquiry came up in our first discussions. Mm -hmm. The letter is between men who know each other that are friends, Mm -hmm. but also people of certain station. Philemon, the man who's addressed in this letter, is also a very influential person in the society and a great patron of the early church. He seems to be quite wealthy. Yeah. So because he has a lot of wealth, he has a lot of power. Right. And yet Paul deals with him as an equal, as a brother, but also as someone who's studying under and coming up Mm -hmm. in faith, growing up in his faith because of Paul, who has a different kind of power. He has a power of authority based upon his personal encounter with Jesus Christ, his mandate, his commission in Mm -hmm. life, reaching out to the power centers of the people groups that are not Israel. Right. So we are in the West pretty much beneficiaries of that early effort by Paul to bring the gospel out of just a Christian cultural context into a worldwide context, which means really the kingdom can be everywhere. That seems to be one of the great themes of Paul's life. Yeah. So Philemon gets this letter. We have to look at him for who he is and also ask ourselves what is being asked or touched upon that we could resonate with and seek some understanding and some breakthroughs, really, on issues that are plaguing the world today. Well, there were four things, essentially, that we talked about as we read through the book of Philemon. Why don't you go over what those four things were, and then we'll talk about what we're going to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Each of these areas are kind of like a lens to approach the letter itself. If it was only talking about these things, it would be rich and deep and meaningful to us. Mm -hmm. But it's not just one thing. We found that there are issues that are covered in the letter, either directly or indirectly, including slavery, economics, mentorship, the definition of family and family dynamics, and kingdom identity. What does it mean to be in a kingdom culture that is superseding any other worldly culture, Mm -hmm. but also takes into account the rich diversity of people groups and language and even philosophy that every people group on earth has grown up in? Mm -hmm. And we've talked a number of times in evangelicalism about how great it's going to be to sit before the throne of God someday in all, all of heaven's glory and see the vast array of humanity represented in the kingdom, and each of them with their own flavor and culture and music and everything else to bring as a gift to the kingdom at large. Mm. So the the wedding feast would be a party unending. Right. We've heard that kind of imagery as we've come up through the church. It's a beautiful picture. It's also a difficult one to reconcile with our preconceptions and our values, the things that we think are most important. Mm-hmm. We struggle with those things because we don't always agree with another cultural perspective, nor do we naturally honor and venerate and say that's a good thing yeah. when it's so different from our experience. Well, and if it's something that makes you feel a little uncomfortable in that setting because you're not used to it, then we tend to look down on it. And that's just human nature. Yeah. And it lends itself towards a whole bunch of discriminations Mm -hmm. in our thought process. And eventually, as our heart thinks, our mind and our bodies act. Mm -hmm. And that is a principle that is proven time after time. No matter what we say we believe, the things we really believe come out in the way we behave towards others, especially those who are different than us in our own perception. 
two things that I thought about that went together in these topics that we were looking at were slavery and kingdom identity mm. and how those two things look antithetical to each other in this passage. And we see how Paul addresses that with Philemon and Onesimus. Paul is appealing to the better angels of Philemon concerning Onesimus. Now, our introduction to this Bible study last week is something of interest probably to you. So if you didn't hear it, Go back and hear what was the circumstances behind Philemon and Paul and Timothy and Nesmus' relationship. Why the letter then? What was up with the church and with this particular kid named Onesimus? Mm -hmm. Catch the podcast at our website, CompassionRadio.com. Now we'll jump right back into rereading this chapter. As we go through it, we'll highlight some verses which seem to touch upon the subject we're going to talk about today. Again, about slavery and kingdom identity. Here's Philemon. I, Paul, am writing you this letter. I am a prisoner because of Jesus Christ. Our brother Timothy joins me in writing this letter. Philemon, we are sending you this letter. You are our dear friend. You work together with us. We are also sending it to our sister Apphia and to Archippus. He is a soldier of Christ together with us. And we are sending it to the church that meets in your home. Side note there. Paul is making it clear that there's a CC and a BCC on all these things and telling <laughs> Philemon, this is who is hearing me speak to you. Yeah. So it's in community. It's in an audience. This is not a secret letter in a corner. Paul is intending for all of the church to learn from this. Yes. Well, and traditionally, when these letters are received, from what we understand of tradition, they were read out loud to the whole group. Often there would be like an assigned reader, someone who actually mm -hmm. was very good at storytelling and yeah. was very literate, who could read the, the language well. Verse 3. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Mm -hmm. I always thank my God when I remember you in my prayers. That's because I hear about your love for all God's people. I also hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that what we share by believing will help you understand even more. Then you will completely understand every good thing we share by believing in Christ. Your love has given me great joy. It has encouraged me. My brother, you have renewed the hearts of the Lord's people. Because of the authority Christ has given me, I could be bold. I could order you to do what you should do anyway. But we love each other. And I would rather appeal to you on the basis of that love. I, Paul, am an old man. I am now also a prisoner because of Christ Jesus. I am an old man and I'm in prison. This is how I make my appeal to you for my son Onesimus. He became a son to me while I was being held in chains. Before that, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to you and to me. I am sending Onesimus back to you. All my love for him goes with him. I'm being held in chains because of the good news, so I would have liked to keep Onesimus with me, and he could take your place in helping me, but I didn't want to do anything unless you agreed. Any favor you do must be done because you want to do it, not because you have to. Onesimus was separated from you for a little while. Maybe that was so you could have him back forever. You could have him back, not as a slave. Instead, he would be better than a slave. He would be a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even more dear to you. He is dear to you not only as another human being. He is also dear to you as a brother in the Lord. Second side note. He's obviously established that there is a legal relationship between Onesimus and Philemon and a spiritual relationship between Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul. Mm -hmm. 
he spelled it out. In other words, slavery, the institution of some kind, whether it's the type we're familiar with in our own history or some other arrangement, is fully in force. And something disrupted that legal arrangement, and Onesimus is not where he's supposed to be. We right. talked about that a lot last week. Right. So Paul is framing it, or rather reframing the situation for kingdom purposes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty clear here that he's trying to tell Philemon what he expects of him to rethink this whole situation and to not make any judgments until we finish. Yeah. Do you think of me as a believer who works together with you? Then welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. Has he done anything wrong to you? Does he owe you anything? Then charge it to me. I'll pay it back. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I won't even mention that you owe me your life. My brother, we both belong to the Lord. So I wish I could receive some benefit from you. Renew my heart. We know that Christ is the one who really renews it. I'm sure you will obey. So I'm writing to you. I know you will do even more than I ask. Here's one more thing. Have the guest room ready for me. I hope I can return to all of you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras sends you greetings. Together with me, he is a prisoner because of Christ Jesus. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke work together with me. They also send you greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Talking about slavery, we know that from this passage, Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. And like we talked about last week, we don't know the circumstance of why Onesimus is not where he's supposed to be. I think he stole money and ran away. I think he ended up with Paul because he considered him safe. Because he was running away or doing something, he was chased out, maybe like Joseph out of Potiphar's house, where he was maligned, misunderstood, or some accusation came against him Mm -hmm. and he was scared. So he runs, and somehow, divine appointments involved, he ends up where Paul is. Arrested for being a runaway slave, most likely. Possibly, maybe even thrown into jail with him. Who knows? So in that case, he's not a valuable person to the law, but he's valuable for his chattel worth to the person who wants him back. Mm -hmm. Literally, an escaped slave is worth money. A ransom could be paid for that. Mm -hmm. So perhaps Onesimus ends up in prison with Paul, and Paul finds a way to pay the bribe to have the guard let him go. Who knows? But something has been set up where he is sending him back. Onesimus is free to travel back to Philemon. And that is a sub-story that's not even mentioned in this letter. But there's a reason why Onesimus is free to travel again. Well, perhaps Philemon sent a guard to get him, knowing that he was in prison, having heard back from the prison officials or whatever. We've got your runaway slave. Send someone to come get him to bring him back to you. I'm seeing him being like under house arrest or something Mm -hmm. during that time. Like he's been found out. But... Paul is alluding to the fact that Onesimus has been very helpful to him while he, mm-hmm. Paul, is stuck in prison. Well, it sounds like Paul has brought him to faith in Christ. Through all those discussions the time spent together, yes, mm-hmm. they've grown close spiritually. Mm-hmm. And if Paul is literally in chains, maybe Onesimus is not. Maybe he is able to be sent out to do errands for him to come back. Maybe under penalty of death. He say, you screw this up, son, says the guard. Your life is over. But for right now, you're on parole because Paul needs you. Hmm. That kind of stuff could be happening. And that's the kind of imagination I think is perfectly legitimate. There are reasons why people end up in certain opportunities, in certain restrictions, or even imprisonment. Mm -hmm. There are reasons why people end up the places they are. And we're seeing in this, I believe, God's divine appointments at work. And not just for the benefit of this young man, Onesimus, or for Paul, who needs a helper, but for 
I believe, the entire Christian church over all these centuries. Mm -hmm. There's a message here about how God transforms the world system into something that reflects His values. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. Of course, there's nothing normal about our situation, but there's also nothing normal about the kind of faith and power we find in Jesus. We have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. There are reasons why people end up the places they are. And we're seeing in this, I believe, God's divine appointments Absolutely. at work. Yeah. And not just for the benefit of this young man, Onesimus, or for Paul, who needs a helper, but for, I believe, the entire Christian church over all these centuries. Mm-hmm. There's a message here about how God transforms the world system into something that reflects his values. Yeah. I think it should be noted, unfortunately, that this book of the Bible has been used over and over to justify slavery. Of all kinds, yeah. Yeah, and it was used in our own country several hundred years ago. As a proof text. As a proof text to justify slavery. See, this is Paul talking to this man who is a believer, obviously, a fellow laborer of Christ, and he owns slaves. So that must be okay. And Paul is sending him back to him. Right. If we stop there... It's not a great place to stop. You know, it's like saying that Paul caught the slave, so he's compelled by the law to send him back. Mm -hmm. That's not in the story. I don't think so. Paul's reframing of the story means that Onesimus is not a thing. He's a person, and he's someone that Paul is identifying in relationship to him, to Philemon, and to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So he has a purpose. He has a meaning. He has an identity much higher Mm -hmm. than what the world would say his value is. And when this is used as a proof text to justify inhumanity Mm -hmm. like it has for centuries— It is a gross twisting of Scripture. Always has been. And those of us who are, I guess, reasonable, who look at that and say, yeah, this is not about justifying anything except justifying the appeal of love to another person to say, think about this the way Jesus thinks about it. Mm -hmm. That is the appeal. Paul is saying, I'm telling you, and this is coming from the heart of God himself. That's the whole gut punch of this thing. He's basically saying, what would Jesus do? what I'm asking you to do right Mm -hmm. now. Receive him. Mm -hmm. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. He's saying this boy is not just a thing. He's your son coming back to you because I send him to you. And he's a son to both of us. Paul has completely flipped the legal justifications and even the moral arguments for slavery on its head. Right. And this brings us to the topic of kingdom identity. Yeah. 
as James calls himself, a slave of Christ. He has placed himself voluntarily under the lordship and leadership of Jesus Christ to be a slave to him. That word slave has been used a lot in earlier translations of the word for its literal legal status within Roman culture as far as the translators understood it. Mm -hmm. But let's open that up a bit. It's not slavery in the institution of American slavery that we've seen in this elements of that there. It is about a financial and legal protection of those who are not protected as citizens of a country. Bond service was something someone could voluntarily enter into. If you were destitute, didn't have a job, and had no prospects and couldn't provide for yourself or somebody else, you could sell yourself into bond service for a period of time, 7, 14, whatever, how many years. Mm -hmm. And we see that in the Old Testament even. When the story of Jacob pursuing the love of his life, he ends up getting tricked a number of times and ends up with double the amount of bond service to mm -hmm. his father-in-law in order to gain what he wanted. It was worth it to him to sell himself in service to get what he wanted. And that was an acceptable legal practice in ancient Israel. Mm -hmm. It sure wouldn't be now. No, I don't get the impression that Onesimus is a bond servant. I could be wrong, but yep. just my reading of this says to me, he's a slave. He was bought as a slave. Maybe he was born into that household as a slave. Maybe his parents were slaves. I don't know. It just seems to or me that... captured in the sacking captured of the city in like or that. even the, a war prisoner, that kind of stuff. Right. But Philemon owns him, the impression that I get from reading this. All right. Chattel slavery then is a lot more akin to what Americans experienced back in the 1600s through even 19th century. Mm -hmm. There could be a lot of similarities there. Mm -hmm. But it's also possible that it is a financial arrangement to give legal protection to an illegal immigrant. Right. In my opinion, if that were the case, Onesimus maybe wouldn't have run away, which is what I think he did. So if he had placed himself there voluntarily as a bond servant to help his family financially, then he wouldn't really have a reason to run away. Whatever the situation is, like we've alluded to a number of times, it still ends up with the situation where he has put himself in a situation where he's no longer under the protection or the limited legal rights of a person of his state in the empire. Mm -hmm. He's abandoned all of that for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. So he's at risk big time. Right. He is an at-risk person, displaced, doesn't have any rights, can't go appeal to the authorities. You know, in modern culture, this is happening constantly with people who are being yeah. abused for their lack of status with the government. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just in our own country, the amount of people that have to go below the radar in order to make a living and probably spending most of that money to support their families back in other countries goes on and on and on. Right. And there are industry after industry in America that has turned a blind eye to the abuses of people like that because right. it keeps products and services cheap. Yeah. Gives them a competitive edge in the American and international markets for the things they produce. Mm -hmm. There is a huge incentive just within the regular economy for companies and people to exploit others for the purpose of profit. Right. It has not stopped. Right. Well, I even think about people who work in the service industry here mm -hmm. in our country. All of our children have been waiters. You were a waiter mm -hmm. when you were in college at a restaurant. And these people who work in that service industry, the food service industry especially, don't make enough money to live on without tips. Now, it's weird to me how it all works and how they only earn three bucks an hour plus tips. That to me is similar to what this is. It is like a bond servant kind of job for them. It is a systemic way yeah. of enslaving people to a certain socioeconomic status of yeah. being lower on the scale mm -hmm. than those who are, quote, free to spend. Mm -hmm. 
you don't make enough money to be able to really get your way out of that place. And nobody has an incentive in those industries to allow people to climb out of their poverty. Right. And now, of course, the <laughs> we've seen the past couple of years after the pandemic came in force, this whole disruption of the labor force because how many changes and lockdowns and relocations means that people can't find people to work for them in yeah. the same arrangements or in the same places they would yeah. have looked before. And suddenly, those service jobs are in high demand because everyone still wants their hamburgers. Mm -hmm. They still want their hotel room cleaned. They still want, want, want. Right. And the companies are saying, we don't have any choice here. We have to actually start paying a living wage or close to that for jobs that would have gone for pennies before. Right. You know, this right around here, even in Idaho, which is not known for being real liberal with its low-end pay scales, they're willing to pay between 16 and $20 an hour to be a short-order chef or a server at a restaurant. Fast food place, yeah. Yeah. So that is a economic reality has kind of forced the question. But it opens up a deeper moral question for us in the kingdom. How will we let this go along so long without addressing the real needs of real people who mm -hmm. serve us yeah. on a daily basis? Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't feel like you've been served by people that are working in establishments that you visit every day, reconsider that thought. Because if we treat people as servants rather than people who are serving us, our expectation for our moral responsibility to them changes drastically. It absolutely does. We think in terms of slavery or servitude as being something that we are owed hmm. because we're the one paying the bill. The kingdom has never been about that. And sometimes it's much easier to see the reality of this in operation when you're from a different culture stepping in. And yeah. you and I have had the experience of going across culturally and stepping into churches around the world where they have a different dynamic of who's on the up and who's on the down. Yeah. And it's yeah. not necessarily just a racial thing. It could be politics. It could be all kinds of stuff. Or the human trafficking going through these countries, the people who are without a state, mm -hmm. who are suddenly at the mercy of those who are willing to give them whatever they can get. Yeah. And we saw that in refugee camps, people coming out of Syria, doctors and lawyers and landowners and farmers, industrialists that would end up in refugee camps and had a hard time competing with each other just to drive a taxi because right. they were looked down on and they were always being exploited and being extorted by local authorities. Mm -hmm. We've mm -hmm. seen that ourselves. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned Syrian refugees, and we both have visited those camps in Bekaa Valley in Lebanon. And when I was there a few years ago, I had a conversation with a young man that was part of the group that was leading us and translating for us and, and taking us to different places that we needed to go. We had a conversation about Ethiopian people who were in that town, and he was making a comment about how he hated them. Mm. This is a member of a church, too. Yes, yeah. yes. And I said, why do you hate them? And he said, I just hate all black people because they're lazy. And I said, oh, well, I don't like Syrians. And he said, what? Why not? And I said, they're terrorists, all of them. And he looked at me with this shock on his face, and he said, but you know me. Mm. And I said, are you a terrorist? And he said, well, no, of course not. I'm not a terrorist. I'm a Christian. I said, well, how do you know that all of the black people that you've seen are lazy? He said, well, they're mean. And I said, why? And he said, well, this one was mean to me. And I said, well, so that one makes everyone the same. That one person that was mean to you makes every black person lazy and mean. And he kind of cocked his head funny. And I said, just like all Syrians are terrorists because that's what I've learned or what I know about what we've seen in the media, what we've seen in the media. Yeah. And he was taken aback by that. And I said, obviously, I don't hate all Syrians and I don't think that all Syrians are terrorists. But I want you to hear what the world thinks in a lot of ways, what many people in my country think about Syrians 
And you have done this to all black people or Ethiopian people that you've met. I said, you've generalized something. He thought for a minute and he said, I never thought of it that way. You know, this is the importance of dialogue within the family of God. Mm-hmm. It's a corrective because we're not shaming each other. But when we explore the real thought and say, how would God have us think about this mm-hmm. thing? It does open up opportunity to change your mind because you're not under threat. Right. You're not being forced to or shamed to change your ways and therefore losing face by doing so. Yeah. Everything about the kingdom of God is about lifting us up into the presence of Jesus, not to be shamed, but to be welcomed and to be Mm-hmm. help to be loved into something that is bigger, better than we've ever been before. Well, I think we have all different kinds of identities as human beings. Like I am a wife. I'm a mom. I'm about to be a college student again. I'm <laughs> I'm a friend. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. All of these things that I am. I'm a white American girl. All of these things. And we look at identities, but I'm also a believer. I have identity in Christ. And so our kingdom identity and our social construct identity may not be the same thing. Like Onesimus was a slave, but he was also a believer in Christ. So he was a member of the kingdom. And a leader in the church was acknowledging that and esteeming it and lifting him up. That is where we have to leave it today because we're out of time with this discussion. But I want to pick it up again next week, how those kingdom identities spill into other aspects of life, how they change the way we think about how we earn, how we spend, where we go, who we associate with. Those are all important things to talk about because it's all here in the book of Philemon. And I thank you, friends, for joining us. Remember, we're on the web at CompassionRadio.com. All of these podcasts are available to you along with Bible study notes. So join us there, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Many of you have given in the past, and that's why you're hearing my voice today. With so much changing in technology and culture, we need you more than ever, so please keep on with us. Maybe even consider a monthly gift of any size through our vision team. Thanks for joining us today. We're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.